It's nice of you to come by. May I show you around? No, you may not show me around. I've already been shown enough with this vitamin-grinding numbskull that calls himself a science major. I heard that, sir. Good! Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the IWMP podcast. My name is Matthew Porter. And I'm Ian Porter. I'm his dad. He's my son. And it's the end of June. Graduations have been happening. They've been happening a little strangely this year, but they have been happening. So we're going back to college. Uh, wrapping, up, wrapping up our time here at this esteemed institution. Yep. It's time to return to Medfield College. Ah, this we we really didn't intend for this to become the Medfield College podcast, but it really has. This is our fourth Medfield College movie. Yeah, I think at this point we should have received at least an associate's degree from Medfield College from watching these movies. Between the Bixby boys and this, it's like we've got a whole (laughs) little like subset of shows within shows. But we are going to talk about the last of the Dexter Riley Disney Medfield College movies. I didn't expect this to feel like weighty and sad when I when I realized what we were doing here because I didn't expect to get invested in this series when we watched <laughs> the first one. It's like, oh, this is just going to be another weird movie and now we're sitting down and I'm like, but but I like these people. <laughs> I want more of it. I want I want to see this. So the movie we watched or that I made Ian watch this week is The Strongest Man in the World. Not a very original title, I'm going to give it that. It is honestly weird to Google this movie because you get a lot of trivia answers first, then you have to put in like movie or Disney, and then it pops up. Yeah, the um, the Dexter Riley movies do kind of decrease in distinctiveness of their titles as you go along. You start out with the computer wore tennis shoes. That's pretty wild and far out, to use their terminology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you get... Now you see him, now you don't. It's just a basic stage magic reference. There's not a whole lot there. And then you get to the strongest man in the world. I, I, you can just hear the, the the people who were commissioned by Disney to write another movie uh, thinking, okay, what should Dexter Riley be this time? I know, he should be the strongest man in the world. And they just never changed that working title. Yeah, maybe maybe it is a good thing that this is the last of the Dexter Riley trilogy, because otherwise we'd get the, you know, Dexter Riley in numerous OSHA violations. And like, <laughs> we, the, the, the titles might just decline. <laughs> Dexter Riley and the ethical restrictions on human testing. <laughs> Dexter Riley avoids death once again. I don't know. (laughs) And, you know, it is the Dexter Riley movie. Dexter Riley is really big in this. But this was really the the Skyler show more than any of the others, it seemed to me. Oh, yeah. This one had a lot with Skyler and it had a lot with the Dean. Yes. Dexter's less of a character of importance in this. He's a... He's a main character that things have to happen around, but there's almost something anime protagonist-like in terms of the inevitability of his involvement instead of the outright action. Kurt Russell, as as Dexter Riley, was in there for some, the well, most of the pivotal scenes and the triumphant ending. Um, spoiler, there's a triumphant ending. But 
Skyler was a much bigger character. And I'm thinking back to the three movies, he really became a bigger character throughout. I mean, the first movie, he was one of the gang that hung around with Dexter, and he was the odd and funny guy. He was much more involved in Now You See Him, Now You Don't. He was one of the people who, uh, you know, working with Dexter discovered the invisibility formula and had it sprayed on him and everything else. And he's all over the place in The Strongest Man in the World. It really is the Skyler show. Even his dog is an important character with almost as much screen time as Dexter Riley. (laughs) I think so. Almost, almost. I mean, I mean, they, uh, they could have some kind of a crossover between this and the Shaggy DA with the the strongest dog in the world. We're getting into more like weird Disney meta here. Oh. <laughs> hey, the Medfield Extended Cinematic Universe. I, I can go for this. We've di- we've discussed this. So we let's set up the premise of this movie. Then I don't think it's going to be too big a shock, but I'll 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 try to explain this clearly. See if we, everybody can follow along. Medfield College has a very uptight Dean play Dean Higgins played by Joe Flynn once again and Medfield College has financial problems. It's a little different this time in that opening though because it is not opening with a radio uh, surveillance of a board meeting. I think they finally either either Dexter and his friends abandoned that or the um the Dean finally figured out what they were doing and you know Put the appropriate uh, uh, skiff protections around his uh, his office or something. No more flower deliveries in any of the buildings anymore. <laughs> that is now banned on campus. <laughs> he doesn't like little gatherings; they make him nervous. Yeah, but um, but yeah, we get we get Joe Flynn again playing Dean Higgins and becoming even more of a caricature, more of a cartoon than he was in the first movie, or even the second movie. Mm-hmm. He he definitely is getting crazier as it goes on. The Dean Higgins who I was in the first movie like actually saying was completely right. There's obviously a problem with the building that needs to be fixed is now just to trying to save his job. Yeah, because now the problem isn't a specific budget line item or it's not even a specific debt that the college owes. It's just that the board of regents for the college is saying that he's just he's not running the college in a financially responsible way. Look at the amount that this science department is costing us. And Dean Higgins has 30 days to solve the college's financial problems, or he is out of a job, and he's going to make sure that everybody in the science department and anybody else he can take down with him will be. And who's in the science department? Who's back in this movie? <gasps> he's back! Professor Quigley is back. Quigley is we back. We didn't see him in Now You See Him, Now You Don't, but he was the professor in The Computer War Tennis Shoes. Same character, same actor, and he's still the professor of science. Science! With a, a capital S and no specific subset. Honestly, though, looking at it, there's something to be said for the fact that Higgins is running a college that has had the invention of Flubber and two other things all within this time, and they're losing somehow more money at a time. He might be handling something wrong. I'm I'm wondering if Quigley was out dealing with, like, 
a ridiculous amount of litigation going on about the computer board tennis shoes, <laughs> which is why he's not available when they invent an invisibility potion. Yeah. And now he's back and they're mishandling another thing. There might be something that the board's making a point of here if you can keep having amazing technical successes and fail on the follow-up. I think that Quigley is too upstanding for this. I think that Dean Higgins is too uptight and maybe not creative enough for this. But I've got my eye on Higgins' secretary. She always looks suspicious. She always looks grumpy. I think she has an offshore numbered savings account with all the money she's been skimming out of the Medfield College budget. Oh, wow. This is getting... Real conspiracy theory there. I, I think so. I think that could be the next uh, the next movie in this series could be the, um, the the crime drama as they track down Dean Higgins' secretary and all the money she embezzled. We can bring back Columbo. You get, <laughs> just just one more thing. Like when you invented these when these things were invented, how how who was managing these accounts? That's what we want to know. And that's something we'll get to is the very like direct and immediate but not terribly creative ways that they decide to monetize these amazing inventions they come up with at Medfield College. But we do, of course, at the beginning see what this amazing invention is and how it comes to pass. Well, the entire like premise is almost spoiled by its little animated opening before we even see any of the actors. Honestly, that animated opening, it's, it's not like the ones we got in any of the other films. Yeah, it's much more cutesy. It's much more what you would expect from a kid's film. It remi- it made me feel like this is a film of a live-action interpretation of some animated cartoon strip that's been on for forever that we're finally <laughs> just seeing. It, it, felt, it felt like I'm supposed to just recognize this little character they're having running around doing these things on site, and that's where I'm supposed to get having fun, especially with how long they hold some of these little animated shots it was weird it was it was very unlike the opening we got for example in the computer war tennis shoes which was very much highlighting the the we're we're in the cool 60s and there's the generation gap and the kids don't like the establishment and here it's it's like a throwback more to the absent-minded professor era with this line art animation it's a little looks like an eight-year-old kid in a medfield shirt exhibiting all kinds of feats of strength while the credits happen around him. It's very, very different style. Oh, goodness. That, you're, you're mentioning eight-year-old kid in a Medfield shirt. Let's be glad we did not wind up with the age regression and acceleration potions Medfield movie. <laughs> because that would be a fine way to not have to pay Kurt Russell as he gets more expensive for a lot of time if you literally turn him <laughs> into a kid actor for part of this. Oh, yeah, that's an interesting point. Yeah. Could they have been setting that up? Now I'm now I'm now I'm going in circles. <laughs> so um, in the science department, which this time seems to be focused on chemistry, it's got the same lab setup that they had for the invisibility potion. The same uh, beakers and such going everywhere. It's literally just pushed off to the side as the other set of things is being used for uh, for the other projects. That's true. That's true. Even though they had a different science professor in the. Uh the invisibility movie. This is looks like the same set, same setup. Did it fuse the glassware and they can't get it out of the room now? <laughs> Maybe that's it. But they are, they're doing something with like 
making some dietary supplement for a cow and they're putting in ground up vitamins and breakfast some cereal lack and of, pizza. of laboratory control practices <laughs> and skylar is, well, yeah, is especially when hysterical over his own joke about an when Italian cow you get a chemical spilling in Italian cow that kills me engaging in a bit of merriment Dean yeah. Higgins is i'm not cannot properly recreate yeah, in each of those. It's it wasn't all, lightning this time. Wasn't lightning this time for once. Yeah. Although it wasn't trying to kill Dexter Riley. It was Skylar this time. Oh, Dexter Riley right. is the enemy of lightning. Skylar is like the enemy of gravity, I guess. <laughs> I'm going to have to extend what we were saying before about comparing uh, Dexter Riley stories to, to the Percy Jackson stories. I'm going to have to map out, you know, who all the different gang in uh among the medfield college kids you know, who, which, which parts of the pantheon they map to who's skylar <laughs> i don't know mephestus no no probably not eh. anyway but a the fact that the chemical spills in it supercharges this stuff which starts bubbling yeah he was they for some reason they've been adding all these things to a breakfast cereal that's what they're trying to get the the cow to eat and it starts popping and bubbling and when it has this chemical in it. Like a hyper snap, crackle, pop going on. It's the fact that when Dexter sees what might have just happened to it, he takes a pinky full and tastes it. And I'm just like, <laughs> okay, this is, they have not learned any proper science. That is not what you do. No. Yeah, I'm thinking for a minute, is this the, uh, the Albert Hoffman uh, story? Oh, is he about to take a bicycle ride? <laughs> oh, <goodness. laughs> But no, they just the, the the cow who's not been interested in this uh, and who's been standing in the lab all this time eats some of the cereal and uh, like belches smoke, which is how you know it's working. Yeah, that's that that was weird. And that's kind of it. They're they're they've been ordered to wrap up this big um, science project they've been working on because uh, the dean has pulled the plug. Send the cow home. Yep. And then they get the call later that night that whatever they did is working. The cow is like producing milk faster than they can than the farmers can keep up, which yeah. is kind of a horrifying little moment as you see this bucket brigade. It 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 terrifies you to wonder what happens if they stop. And I'm not sure. I couldn't tell whether the farmer from whom they had rented the cow was upset, was happy, or was just curious as to what they had done to his cow. But the most disturbing thing here is that when they decided to wrap it all up, Skylar's response is to pour the doctored cereal back into the box. Not good cereal etiquette, even if you haven't been chemically <laughs> tampering with it. Seriously. And then bring the box back home for his own breakfast? Well, he's a college student. He's on a budget. You know, you're going to waste good cereal just because it's been adulterated with unknown chemical compounds and half eaten by a cow. I mean, he's not that picky. To the strangest remake of Altered States I've ever seen. <laughs> it, Pre-make? Back to Albert Hoffman and his bicycle. <laughs> they were back there again. <laughs> Keeps going in a loop. <laughs> and of course, somebody else eats the cereal. That, it's somebody De else being Dexter Riley. Mm -hmm. Who immediately starts realizing that something's off. Oh, he does feed the rest of the cereal after he realizes something off to the dog. Right. Because he doesn't like the dog or something, I guess. <laughs> I guess. And it's amazing that after... Dexter has eaten some of this cereal. Everything around him has turned into rubber and styrofoam. It's amazing. It's how a, did that happen? How in the world? 
He's ripping handles off of doors that seem to actually have small, nice pre-cut lines ahead of time. <laughs> and he's bending a pole that obviously has uh, foam flexing uh, on the inside edge, as you can see the paint crackle. Because, honestly, their technology of special effects is about where it had been, and it's quite good. I feel like their film quality went up a step in this movie, and that didn't do it favors. I agree. And, and this is one way in which I think that now you see him now you don't was more successful in its effects than the strongest man in the world and that's because now you see him now you don't had one effect really it had people turn invisible and occasionally they're wearing or carrying something that that is visible that didn't look great in uh, now you see him now you don't but it was consistent. And once you accepted, okay, this is how things appear when they're invisible, you could forget about it and, and just go on with the movie. There are so many different kinds of effects that they need to achieve this. He is incredibly strong and he can bend things and pick up anything that every one of them is a little bit jarring. You never get used to them, it seemed to me. And they don't, yeah. There's when you're hit trying to aim for multiple targets, you're going to land fewer of them. Right. And that's what this this runs into. And the fact that in the other movies, well, in the first movie, Dexter Riley was the only person affected by the thing. And in the second movie, no matter who was affected by the thing, it had the same, like, you couldn't tell. You didn't have to have multiple actors playing an action or playing a, a thing the same way. In this one, we get a couple of people who experience the effects of this item, and what it does to each of them is a little different based on narrative and effects, which means it feels inconsistent. That's because right. And Dexter it's... seems just really strong. He's bending poles, he's moving stuff, but he's just pure strength. He lifts an, a, a, man, a really heavy set guy in a chair above his head, and all of that effect is just pure strength. Later, we see someone else try this, and they are acrobatic and dexterous, and they suddenly have an entire secondary skill set that is athletic, but not purely strength-based in the way that they implied Dexter's to become. That is very true. We see um, Dean Higgins trying this and giving a demonstration of its of its powers to a cereal company, and we'll get into that. But you're right. It's, he's not. He, yes, he can pick up. A, a a enormously heavy barbell that he couldn't pick up and nobody could pick up before he took the uh, the formula, but then he's balancing it and he's doing gymnastics and he's swinging from light fixtures and he's you're right it's it's suddenly he's a it's not just strong he's a practiced gymnast. Yeah, the the realistic phrase side effects may vary actually kind of is a detriment <laughs> to this movie, but it, a lot of it I think is just they've got Joe Flynn, uh. Great, funny character actor. They needed to give him a certain number of these set pieces. Mm. And kind of like they did with the interminable gulf in Now You See Him, Now You Don't. They gave him this long, long, long ex exhibition of the effects of the formula. Yeah. And that's the weirdest thing is the fact that it does get stuck to the idea of cereal the entire time. They were using cereal for the initial thing because it was some it was a grain based product to feed the cow. It's never quite clear if it's something that's necessary for this formula to work. That it has to be on cereal, but that's what it is. The 
entire time, that MacGuffin stays consistent. Right. And and Higgins figures this is the, our chance. This is our opportunity to save the college, or at least save his job, in that a serial company would pay an enormous amount to be able to add this formula to their cereal and advertise the fact that it actually does make you incredibly strong. And a cereal company is his first thought of the big valuable thing, not industrial manufacturing, not uh, military application, not Not, uh, health and safety, not even a pharmaceutical company who can figure out, well, why is it doing what it's doing? And can this help people who have degenerative neuromuscular conditions can we create a controlled dose for those who are going through recovery after uh, traumatic injury in order to rebuild muscle strength? <laughs> right. There's options here. But no, he's just like, guess what? Kellogg's in post. How about you fight for it? It's like, why? <laughs> yeah, this is a college that does not have a, a technology um, development and licensing and business liaison program. And this is why big universities do, in fact, have those. This is why Medfield keeps failing all of these big creations is that this is their way of approaching it. They they create invisibility potion, and I'm betting he went to like an automotive paint manufacturer because they know it works on a car instead of anyone else who'd be useful for. That's, that's the way they're going. Yep. But he he's like, we're gonna take it to the cereal company, and in very fast cuts, we're like in the board meeting with the cereal executives, giving a presentation of this stuff. And there are two apparently. There is these are. I'm guessing they're the equivalent of Post and Kellogg's, the two giant uh, cereal companies, like you were saying earlier. And they're, of course, the rivals, and he's gone to one, and the other has a mole inside the uh, the first uh, cereal company's organization. Dean Higgins also, like, loses his mind on strength and power for a bit as he goes from, I'll show you that I can't lift this thing, and then I'll lift it once I've had my very very explosively popping cereal to i'll do like gymnastic events and swing from your light fixtures to i'll karate chop your table in half and he starts attacking one of the columns that supports the roof before someone stops him yeah there's a certain like animal rage aspect to his uh, his demonstration that's really upsetting <laughs> but they do they rein him in before it becomes another short movie where all of these serial executives are, are, are killed. And Dean Higgins. And Dean Higgins in a, a catastrophic accident. But no, they he, he he convinces them because it obviously works. Dosage problems to be dealt with later, but it obviously works. And the mole lets the other company know that this weightlifting competition sponsored by the two companies between Medfield and State, State is back, is, you know, all a ploy to prove that this new stuff works and bring the company that's made the deal with uh, Medfield into the, the front-runner position in the market. And so what does the, the current leader, bad guy company do? They hire A.J. Arno. A.J. Arno's back. He's back. It's three times in a row. And so is Cookie. Cookie! Cookie is back. That's the best thing about AJ Arno is that Cookie comes with him. Absolutely. And honestly, Cookie has got the best bits here. I think Cookie is the best part of this movie. He, yeah, I he's, he was really strong in the last one and, he, and in this one as well. And in some ways, I think both Arno and Cookie are underused in this movie. They were kind of added because they were needed, but they're not, they don't drive the plot in the way that 
they did in the previous movies, it seemed to me. No, but it does kind of wrap up an arc between them across the three movies. In the first one, A.J. Arno is the big man on top, and Cookie is just doing whatever he says. In the second film, Cookie starts talking back, or talking to A.J. Arno because he's been proven fallible. And is this, there's a bit more of a back and forth, much to Arno's chagrin. And in this one, Cookie is handed charge by a frustrated Arno and proves himself to be a more competent planner and executor of the sort of criminal heist activity they've been attempting than Arno is at any point. And that is an intriguing little, like, the rise of Cookie narrative that they've strung through this set of films i want you to print up for me a new dvd uh, a new cover art from the uh the dvd box set of this with richard Bacallian, i think is how you pronounce it but with a picture of him and just the title the cookie saga <laughs> for this these three dvds i can do that that'd be awesome because you're right. Yeah, we really do. He 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 changes more than Dexter Riley or anybody else does. Yeah, he he grows as a person over the course of this. And I almost he's he's better at the crime stuff, but he's also like the least certain that crime is the thing to be doing. <laughs> there is a redeem there's a redeemable aspect to Cookie cuz he's smarter than this. He sees that there are other avenues. And I like to hope that that means later movies could have given him a turn to the good guy's side. If, if this had kept going, could we have seen Cookie uh, leave Arno's employ and become like the security and technical guy for Medfield and bring them into a heyday because he knows how to talk with people. He can get to them, but he knows that you guys are just trying to do your best. So, hey. <laughs> yeah, technical, I don't know. He was was really he was unable to manage ropes and pulleys very well in this one. But um but in terms of security and background checks and understanding people, Cookie might be your guy. But the the bad cereal company wants to steal the formula so that they can put it into their cereal, and that means that and deprive uh Medfield and the their their cereal company from victory and from this product in the future so they choose to subject this new formula to a series of uh chemical and pharmacological tests to figure out where the the formula came from confirmed that it was in fact originally developed at medfield am i right so far no 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 oh so what do they do they kidnap a college student <laughs> and the, the the um the MacGuffin around all of this, that's not the right term. The the way they decide to prove this is with a public weightlifting exhibition. Yeah, that's that's like the, the, the setup. And it's weird. It implies that they've done this before. <laughs> which seems foolish. But it's like, oh yeah, we've got all the stuff still. We'll just set that up again. You'll lose once again. Okay, you'll see about that. Why was this so easy to do? It was like one phone call and we've got this event with TV cameras and everything. And State has the like the champion weightlifting team. Oh, goodness. The, we're going to have to talk later about their champion weightlifting team <laughs> and the ridiculousness of them. Yeah, but, that's, um, but that becomes the focus is the right people have to control this formula because whoever controls the formula is going to win the weightlifting team or competition 
and whichever serial company is sponsoring the winning team in this intercollegiate weightlifting competition are going to be the victors in the the marketplace. It's like, are they going to put the, are they going to put the victors' faces on the boxes? <laughs> are we dealing with like, you know, highly inertia driven weedies going on as like the new box here? It's like just get, get Dexter yeah. Riley's face on this you know in this box looking a little confused. Yeah, there's there's a whole bunch of concerns about that. We've we've gone far beyond the the medical research concerns and into ethics in corporate sponsorship of collegiate athletics concerns. There's a whole lot going on here that uh, needs to be examined. It's the only Disney movie that ends with the FDA knocking down the door <laughs> and, and and serving papers to everyone in the building. And we talked about AJ Arno. It's great to have Richard um I can never pronounce his name, playing Cookie and having Cesar Romero back as AJ Arno. The serial company double agent they're working for is played by Dick Van Patten. Oh, yeah. I don't think we've encountered Dick Van Patten in any of the other things we've watched for the podcast. I'm sure he's going to be in some TV stuff that we'll talk about. I recognized him immediately, but I didn't realize from what. I still can't put it into words. I know I know his face from something. And as far as the kids go, we talked, of course, about Dexter Riley, played by Kurt Russell. We talked about Richard Schuyler, and he's still played by Michael McGreevy. And the third member of the trio here is, again, Debbie. Oh. Now, in Now You See Him, Now You Don't, there was Debbie Dawson, who was the third member of the trio with, uh, with Dexter and with Schuyler. I don't think she's ever given a last name. In this movie, she's just Debbie. Yeah. And I am not 100% sure whether it's supposed to be the same character because it's played by someone different. In uh, Now You See Him, Now You Don't, there was Debbie Dawson, who was played by Joyce Menges. M-E-N-G-E-S. I think that's my... And in this movie, it's just Debbie, played by Anne Marshall. I think think it's probably supposed to be the same character, but they weren't making a big uh, deal about it. Honestly, it's not a character who gets very much to do in this movie, unfortunately. Yeah, she gets way less to do in this movie than she did in now, now You See Him, Now You Don't. And that's disappointing because she had such a level head in the other movie. She was the voice of reason to the group that kept them on, on to what they were supposed to be doing and kept the question of, is this what we should be doing in mind? And the fact that that is missing in this movie keeps it from... This gets out of control faster without that. And I wish that she'd been there for it to be pointing out, you're going to hurt someone if you keep that up. Don't do that now. (laughs) So everyone else can go, oh, you're right. And then you can still give us that scene later, but give us a little bit of a break in between things and have someone seem like the smart one. Yeah, and now you see him, now you don't. You could see the group making their decisions because they would argue about what's the best thing to do and what the consequences are and are going to be. And in this, it's just everything leads from from one thing to another, this and then that and then that. And we don't get to see those choices being made in the same way. Yeah, it's they're all they're all much more passive because we don't have someone like Debbie Dawson forcing them to make decisions and recognize the fact that they are making a decision to do certain things. Yeah. So th- this this movie is much more linear without that in a negative way, but it's still an interesting romp in that sense. And while we're mentioning uh, Debbie, D- 
Did you recognize Anne Marshall, who was playing Debbie in this movie? I didn't. We've seen her once before for something we watched for the podcast. Oh. It wasn't in a Medfield College movie. Oh, I don't know. But it is something we watched as the Bixby Boys. What? She was in My Favorite Martian. Oh, goodness. The the youngest of the young ladies from whom Bill Bixby's character was renting his apartment, who had a crush on Bill Bixby's character. Oh, boy. That was Anne Marshall, who plays Debbie in uh, in this movie. Oh, my goodness. So you see, we watch enough of these things from the, uh, the 50s and 60s and 70s, and we, we start to see this whole galaxy of, of people who were in Hollywood at the time. It's kind of freaky. I, I really did not recognize him. Dang. We'll have to pull up some pictures. You'll, you'll see right away. Oh, yeah, this is the same woman. Oh, yeah, I'm going to have to. So we've got, we've got this ill-advised contest going on, and we've got the attempt at getting all of the, the, uh, the formula. And so they, they decide to kidnap Skylar. I think that's their first plan. Or no, they, they tried to break into the lab first, didn't they? I can't remember which order of those two. Yeah, they try to break into the lab, and that's where we get the physical comedy set piece with Cookie and A.J. Arno trying to use a painter's scaffold to get up the side of the building. And while it goes bad, partially because A.J. Arno is very afraid of heights, it seems— Cookie, like, planned out knowing where all the guards would be and that the window was the safest entrance. He scoped the place the day before and went in disguised as a uh, a window washer in order to leave his scaffolding up so he could come back and do this in the night. It's like, he did some prep and setup yeah. here. He, he thought about what he had done in the previous uh, caper with stealing a ladder and pretending to be a janitor. And then he really had time to think about that when he was in prison and realized, oh, I need, uh, I, I was on the right track, but I needed more planning. So I, I'm with you. I hope he turns straight. I think he can be the, the head of a, a leverage style criminals for good guys sort of uh, group. Yeah. But that goes sideways and leads to a remarkable number of security people busting into the room. <laughs> yes. And. They run away with the, uh, their tails between their proverbial legs here and decide instead to kidnap Skylar, because uh, this is AJ Arno's plan, and force him to tell them the formula. Yeah, though I don't know if they actually run away, because I think they wind up falling from the scaffold. <laughs> they fell into the scaffold into wet cement, yes. and, then, and then like you see the footprints lead leaving. So, But yeah, they do get their hands on Skylar, as you say, and, and AJ Arno has a way of finding out what Skylar knows. He's got a hypnotist. This is the awkward part, because the depiction here is not great. This is one of those movies where, when you see it on Disney+, Plus, it has the legend on the, um, the title screen before you press play, that the movie contains outdated cultural depictions. Yeah, it, yeah. it does. This was an uncomfortable bit. Because they go to Chinatown and go to a a restaurant that's a front for a much for a shadier business, I take it. 
where they use an acupuncture hypnosis method to get Skylar to sleep, tell them the formula. Right. Now, granted, you know, the, 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 you're right, acupuncture hypnosis guy, he seems like he might be the smartest guy in the movie, with the possible exception of, uh, of Quigley. But he is, um, uh, he is essentially a hypnotist for hire by criminals. Mm-hmm. And so the entire bit there is awkward. The bits of Skylar out of it, just rambling what he's asked, is pretty good. <laughs> it very much reminds me, in, if I look at it in a positive way, it reminds me of the truth serum scene in the second Ant-Man film. Which is which is fun in that sense. It's got that same vibe, very reminiscent of that. You're right, and it's it's it really is a good comic turn by McGreevy as Skyler, uh, and he has a lot of good bits in this movie, and I think he he handles that one well. I just wish that this scene hadn't been structured in the way it was because yeah. that didn't help. But but you know, in a movie made in 1975, I can't say that I'm going to be shocked by that. Yeah, we can we can just learn to be better in our new movies from here. But um, but one of the issues was that, given the haphazard way that this chemical formula came about, he really didn't know what was in it, or didn't remember everything that they had had experimented with, and this was supposed to get him to dictate the formula, even if he didn't remember consciously what it was, and it kind of works. He, he lists out, in very precise scientific dosage, everything he put into the grinder, which is great. Skylar takes notes. <laughs> Skylar does science. He's actually he he's he's a forgetful mess. But underneath there, he is understanding what he's putting in. He knows the technical names for everything, and he's listing it out in order of of application. He's he's got this in his head. It just took a little bit to get it out. The problem is he didn't know about the blue stuff that spilled in that actually supercharged the whole formula into working. The only person who knows the blue stuff is Dexter Riley, Mr. Put a pinky finger of it in my mouth, and I know <laughs> what it is by that, but I better hope I don't learn it's poison. I want to back up a second. The way you just described Skylar and his scientific acumen, if you want to call it that, is he kind of a young Fred McMurray from The Absent-Minded Professor? Absolutely. Oh, I like that idea. Skyler's absolutely the next generation of that type. <laughs> he, they're, they're, he, he's got the technical chops. He's, in all of these, a little bit more aware of the science going on than everyone else, even more so than Dexter. He's just too much of a mess on the outside to <laughs> relay it to people. So he's absolutely that same archetype of character. I could imagine... Him recreating the flubber experiment. And that works, and I love that. Oh, and that and that hypnosis uh scene ends with another kind of big comedy physical spectacle where um the last order they give to Skylar was to like go home as quickly as possible and forget about all this. So he winds up stealing the car that belongs to the police chief who was giving a political speech at the uh uh, at the Chinese restaurant where all this was taking place. Yeah, the, the police chief's giving a, a a speech at the at the front of a Chinese restaurant. There, <laughs> that's all. That's all. An, an, a, a whole thing there, but then it becomes a, a chase with the cops, and get back to the 
communal building that they live in. It's a little uncertain there. It's like they've all rented a really large house. Yeah, it's kind of the the, the mod pad that they all live in. It's a little bit I. It's not quite the same as it was in uh, in the late '60s when the first of these movies was made, but it's the same. This big group house where they all live. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember what happens next, how we get to the finale at the weightlifting competition, because that brings us into some interesting points about how this formula works, and it's not just organic. From there, it just almost jumps straight to the event. There's not a lot in between. They get he, they get him back, they get that set up, and they're moving into its its event day, I thought. While they're getting set up, the company that has just stolen the formula out of our, our actual hero here uh, radios back that the formula is not working, which means that it must not work for the other side. So we're going to win. Oh, that's right. They tried to recreate the formula. The good guys tried to recreate the formula based upon what they know from, from Skylar, and it doesn't work. So... It's not going to work. It's a fake. So that means that we'll win because we've got the bigger team. And everyone is sitting down to... We're at this event and we get to see the two teams. It's Dexter, Riley, and Skylar and the group who are not athletic at all. And I think they they very intentionally gave them like wrong-fitting jersey sizes and shorts here to make them look even more out of proportion. Yeah, they're, so they all look very skinny and spindly and ultimately unathletic versus the team from the, the championship team from the other college. Which is obviously a group of professional weightlifters. Right. These are like guys in their early 30s who have been weight, uh, winning weightlifting competitions for a long time. You could stack three Skylers side by side and he'd be <laughs> the width of one of these other guys, shoulder to shoulder. So it's just, it's it's an intentionally hilarious uh mash like mix up of like power scale here and everyone sits down to eat their bowls of respective cereal as part of this which also just felt weird yeah it's part cereal eating contest part weightlifting competition or and even the people announcing the competition and commenting on it are are puzzled by this Mm -hmm. but dexter realizes something wrong because there's no puff of smoke right he's like there's something missing the catalyst <gasps> but he has to now run out while he's the last person to lift and so we get the ticking clock of everyone going through their their back and forth of lifting in an attempt to get him to the college and back with the formula very much mirroring the get dexter to the competition from the first of these films very much like that it's not the same kind of chase but it's the same sort of uh, as you say the the way that they impose that ticking clock and he has to do this because he did take that test tube full of the functioning um serum back when it was first created so he knows he's got a working sample even if the formula that they tried to recreate didn't work i don't know if you need to take them both at the same time because he's accosted by a bunch of goons once he gets to the school and like swigs some of the formula right out of the tube and like proceeds to superhero beat him up fight all of these men out of the building <laughs> well i think what he had in the tube was the complete formula okay it uh, and and what they had put on the cereal for the competition was incomplete 
Now, I don't know if it needs the serial component, but uh, but this um, but he did have the complete uh, a sample of the complete serum. But yeah, you get this very dramatic fight scene. <laughs> and again, it okay, this is apparently not just given him strength, but given him combat skills. Yeah, he's, uh, combat skills, but it's combat skills in a a two fist a a a, 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 a hand over hand swinging arm punch kind of way. <laughs> This is a, this is a very you know, fight a monster at the California Red Cliff Rocks there kind of fighting <laughs> style. I know I've seen this kind of combat somewhere, but yeah, you know, it's it's what people who go into outer space for a living are, are trained to do when they have to fight. Exactly, Got it's it. it's that kind of fighting. Yeah, but it's still very cool to see this happen. And he he <laughs> beats up all the guards. He rolls one of them down a hallway at the others to make a bowling crash sound effect apparently is this wait a minute is this formula just turning you into a cartoon character maybe that's it because sound effects happen your abilities seem vaguely based not only on yourself but context and that entire opening felt weird with the long animated sections maybe that is what's happening it's not strength it's it's plot convenience potion. And if that's the case, then what they had on the serial for the competition was not completely ineffective, because there is a lot of cartoony comedy in that, where one of the sp- the skinny guys on the Medfield team tries to pick up a very heavy weight and winds up stretching his arms. Oh, that was horrifying. That was like really Monty Python type stuff. Very creepy. Yeah, actually- but, and, and it was very much, it was more of a let's break physics and biology than these tend to be but yeah that makes sense if it's a partial formula it's giving him the wrong aspects of cartoon physics right it's it's not a catalyst it's a stabilizer (laughs) oh my goodness i think we've cracked the code here (laughs) but dexter riley has to get back now uh we never even talked about the car that's right oh my goodness there's an entire through line to this movie we've skipped because dean higgins has a new car I think Dean Higgins has an old car that he loves. Oh, this is an old car he loves? This is a very old Ford. Mm. I don't know exactly what model it is or when it's from, but it is uh, it is many, many decades old. I don't think it's a Model T, like uh, the absent-minded professor drove, but it's not that much uh, later than that. No flubber drive. No, no flubber drive. I think this is all all original. Uh, Dexter's taken the formula, but he needs to get back and he won't get there on foot. So he has to steal Danny Higgins' car. And this car, being a very old car, does not go very fast. No. And now Dexter being very super-powered, like, kicks his foot through the floor of the car to make it go faster and is... He has to do that to make it stop. Okay. Because he pours some of the formula into the car. Oh, yeah, he does. So this is not just a biomedical substance. Apparently, it makes cars super strong also. This really is cartoon (laughs) physics uh, potion. The movie is a cartoon, essentially. Absolutely. But this car is now so hypercharged that it goes super fast. He has to shove his feet through the floor to stop it. And he, he gets he gets pulled over. Right. He's desperately trying to keep the car from, from lurching forward with by keeping his feet planted on the ground through the floorboards while he's 
talking to the the police and and letting them tell trying to tell them that he needs to go and the car makes it there kind of yeah it's going so fast that just about every piece of it falls off during the trip so dexter riley skids into the building in a car that is barely holding together and then proceeds to not so in front of uh, in front of the dean his car busts through the wall kool-aid man style and then turns into a pile of scrap <laughs> now that's who they should have contacted what to sell this formula was kool-aid <laughs> kind of looked like blue kool-aid at first didn't it oh yeah <laughs> oh oh boy but yeah it, it it really did my goodness but he makes it and he of course you know lifts the giant weight of foam that looks so much bigger than all of the other weights and wins by just like like two pounds, I think, in the total weights lifted competition. Yeah, it's one of these cumulative competitions. So the other side was just ticking up large weight after large weight. And I think that the Medfield team cumul- cumulatively had managed to lift about 100 pounds or so. Yeah. So he essentially had to win the entire competition with a single lift. And he does it! Of course he does it. And Medfield College is saved, and the movie kind of ends there? It does. Which is really weird, because the Computer War Tennis Shoes had international influence in terms of what happens with its technology, but ends with a clear note of it's over, and it cannot be recreated in the way it was, so we'll move on. And the second movie ends in a little bit of a, we have a pipeline to deal with implementing this places it's been recognized on a public stage and it's it ends on a silly note but it ends on a and there will be more we do with this this movie just kind of like and now the world has to deal with what we've made have fun and end right the cereal company is going to get a check apparently that's going to be the only use of this is as a cereal additive and uh man yeah that's it and speaking of the serials, um, I do want to mention uh, Eve Arden playing the chairperson of the serial company that Higgins went to. I think she's underused, but she's always fun. And it was great to see her in this movie. There's a lot of her getting to look very nervous across a lot of this. Yes. But it, it's well done. Overall, though, that's just... It, it, it ends a little flat in that sense. It does. It does. I I was shocked that I heard that reviews at the time, including like the movie reviewer for the New York Times, talking about this movie thought it was, you know, not as good as the absent-minded professor, but much better than the computer wore tennis shoes. What? And, wait, what? No, what? <laughs> I, I, I don't get that. This is one of those movies where I don't know that it needed to be made. It was somehow came out to be less than the sum of its parts. It had... Still a lot of great casting, still some fun comedic bits. It didn't come together as a movie as well as either of the other two Dexter Rileys did. Yeah. I think we're already answering our, our final questions here. I think so. We're, we, we are irrevocably coming to that already. So. Yeah. so what do you think? Screen or no screen? I didn't expect to say this for a Medfield film, but don't screen. It's, it's honestly not as yeah. good. It, Knowing the plot via summary is all you really need, because this one doesn't do as much. I I agree. There's more... There's more to sit through 
in this than there is to enjoy when you add up the set pieces with Joe Flynn and and, and things. It's there's a lot of stuff where I was kind of just can, can we get to the end of this scene to move along and and they were just interminable. If you're a completist and you've watched the other two and you can't bear not to see the last Medfield College movie, then yeah, it's available. But yeah, I agree. I'm I'm not going to recommend anybody watch this movie for its own sake. Now you see, now you don't. Got its golf out of the way in its golf scene. <laughs> this movie somehow decides to spread its golf across the entirety of the film in a way that doesn't help anybody. All of the scenes have that same sort of dragging on length. And for this movie, our next set of questions is actually a little challenging in context. Because the rest of our questions are revive, reboot, or rest in peace. But this is the, the last movie in either a trilogy or a longer series, if you're including the, the Flubber movies. And we've already talked about how, in, in other podcasts, about how you might continue or revive the Medfield College Dexter Riley universe. So I'm not sure how to address those questions specifically for The Strongest Man in the World. I think everyone who listens to the podcast at this point will be very well aware that I am all for revival of this series. I want Medfield continues. I want the story that pulls all these things together as things that are part of this world. And I kind of have a bit of a tell you where I'm thinking the characters we know in that new version as my answer here. Yeah. Cause I want to see, uh, the Higgins science building being a main location. <laughs> Higgins, not quickly. I no, no. I, I think that maybe like Quigley is known, but I think the naming the science building after <laughs> Dean Higgins is just the right sort of memory like of the that. man. Yeah. I, I want to see Dean Schuyler being the person who's <laughs> running the college for good or for ill, but he seems like the smart guy and who would wind up in that position instead of the science professor position. I don't know if you've got Professor Riley or not, but he could be in that position, having taken that Quigley job. He could be a, a character who is talked about, if, though not showing up, depending on if you could get him or the role, depending on how big of a budget you're doing this movie or miniseries or something. And I still like the idea of this secured facility underneath the school when they rebuilt this location that has these, these rare and bizarre artifacts that have been created here. Even better is if you can point out that uh, when they were rebuilding the science department, they hired uh, cookie security to build them this facility underneath and let him have that role. But you could have some fun here with this assembling of, okay, I have got super strength cartoon physics plus flubber bounce as a combo thing to deal with a problem. And this set of spy gadgets turned to the nth degree that this provides for you or future creations that are then created here and learning that there's that this is part of a legacy in a mini series format. I think there's that still something there. It's kind of a take on the Medfield College stories informed by things like the TV series Eureka. Yes, very that much so. That could be fun. Yeah. And and the idea of this being a thing that all of these creations, I don't know if the world that they're going to show is 
full of these new inventions, but no one realizes they all came from the same place. Or every single time Medfield creates something, it is so bewilderingly powerful that it's that everything gets covered up and no one knows it happens. And it could go either way and be fun. And maybe they finally have some office that helps them do more with their discoveries than sell it to a serial company or use it to improve someone's golf game. Exactly. Yeah, I like that. And given some of the things that we've already seen uh, Disney Plus do, some of the productions we've seen from them, things like the, the Timmy Failure movie. Oh, yeah. They've got people who could who could do something really interesting with this. They gave us one season of a Disney Plus original with that plot. And they could have, they could go some wildly fun places with that. And even, even though I loved these movies as a, an example of practical effects, they were doing film modification for the second movie. They were doing prop work for the first and the, and the third. And uh, uh, the absent minded professor was just some amazing camera fun with editing and cuts and off screen trampolines and such and green screen early green screening style technology and such. They did amazing stuff. I don't even mind that they might use some CGI in a new one to make these effects work, but there's something to be said for the stories they could tell. Yeah. I would want them to, to really pick an artistic approach to using that CGI. Sort of what I was saying before, where Give give us some distinctive look for whatever the new gizmo is, whatever the MacGuffin is. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to look seamless as if it's in the real world. It just has to look interesting and consistent, like the invisibility stuff in the last movie. And and I'd be really happy. I don't. I wouldn't want it animated. I'd ha- it'd have to be something live action. Oh, I agree. I agree. I wouldn't want because part of the charm of the Medfield College movies at their best is that they are live action cartoons. If you animate it, it's just another cartoon. Mm-hmm. It becomes that little kid in the fr- in the opening of this movie that didn't have any relation to what was going on. Right. You have persuaded me. I like your vision of uh, of that kind of revival for the Medfield uh, verse, and by extension, this movie. Even though we weren't crazy about this movie, it's part of the the sequence, mm-hmm. and its legacy could continue. Absolutely. And there's a lot they could do with what are some of the other creations that these other kids are making? Was there stuff Debbie created? If Skylar's making stuff and Dexter's making stuff, maybe there's a, a Debbie invention that they could talk about and give that would be great. history to. I and like it, this. It wouldn't be hard to make a list of the other easily comprehensible super science that they could come up with. I mean, they've had invisibility, super strength, and super intellect or super knowledge. But you could have growth and grow, growing and shrinking and supervision, all kinds of things. As long as they don't mess with temporal mechanics, we're probably okay. That, that'd be the finale. Yeah, I mean, oh, a Medfield College movie about a time machine. <laughs> if you impose, I was going to say, if you impose appropriate limits on the time machine, that could be interesting. They're not big on imposing limits on the technologies they come up with. This feels like a maybe the time machine is what happens when you uh, know the perfect angle because you're super smart and you throw an invisible by a bending light piece of flubber with super strength so it moves fast enough. You can just spin it around in a circle and tear a hole in the fabric of the universe. Maybe this is why the inventions that occur at Medfield College 
don't seem to wind up changing the world in the way that they should, whether it be a overunity energy device like Flubber really was, or invisibility or super strength. Somebody's got a time machine and is coming back, and for some reason they can't go back to stop these things from being invented. But they somehow sort of remove them shortly after they were invented, so the world goes back to the way it should be. Oh, a story about time cleanup. <laughs> now I think we're talking about Medfield meets Fringe. I think we are. <laughs> Medfield meets a lot of stuff when yes. you think about it too hard. Yep. I think that's it for this podcast, and, and sadly, I think that's it for our uh, our trip to the uh, the Medfield College cinematic universe. If any of you out in the listener land know more Medfield content, be it uh, from the parks or from comics or from other movies and such, referencing it. We'd love to hear about that because I want more. I, I wish there was more Medfield. And that said, I'm not sure I'm interested in watching that 1995 TV remake of The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes. I might I might subject myself to yeah. it. Well, there, I, I, I might actually just record a bonus episode after watching it. And <laughs> That's not a bad idea. That, that, that could go up on the Patreon. For completeness sake. Yep. So, uh, so yeah, thank you very much for listening. If you do want to support the podcast, if you go to www.immproject.com, you'll find, in addition to all of our back episodes, you'll find a link to our Patreon. You'll find a link to our uh, Discord. You'll find a contact page where you can let us know um, what's your favorite part of the Medfield Cinematic Universe, or what do you think they should have invented next? And where can people find you on the internet, Ian? I can be found as Item Crafting on... Uh, Twitter and on YouTube and as Item Crafting Live on Twitch. And you can find me on Twitter at by Matthew Porter, or you can find me at the website MatthewFPorter.com. So thanks again for downloading. Thanks again for listening. And in the meantime, go find something new to watch. <laughs>